0: My name is Ian Galbraith, and I'm going to read my translation of a poem by the German poet Jan Wagner. The poem in English is called December 1914 and relates an incident in the trenches, or rather the no man's land between the trenches, during the First World War. December 1914 was one of the first poems by Jan Wagner that I translated, I think in 2005, and since then Ten years have passed in which the United Kingdom has been at war constantly, in Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, or in what has been called a war on terror. War is exhausting and debilitating, not only for its frontline participants and its survivors, but also psychologically and morally exhausting for all those in whose name war's inevitable and intended atrocities are perpetrated. In that sense, war spares nobody, and we are all its hostages. The surprising event recounted in Jan Wagner's poem is therefore the outbreak as a result of an individual's decision of normality, the discovery that humane universal values are translatable in a situation that dictates totally against the crossing of lines and borders with peaceful intent. I shall read the poem and then say one or two words about its translation. It starts with an epigraph with a quotation from something that was reported by somebody called Gunner Herbert Smith of the Royal Field Artillery. Herbert Smith is not attributed here, but research shows that that was who said the following words. One of the nuts belonging to the regiment got out of the trenches and started to walk towards the German lines. Course we thought they'd gone loco, each man-jack a sitting duck, armed with nothing but mistletoe and plum-pud. But they were in luck. The guns were still. In no man's land and mud, we met between the lines, at a loss for words, each hand at a trouser seam, until the woodbines did the rounds, were lit, and someone shared a bar of bitter chocolate. One man had news of a poison that did away with louse and rat. Others, still too stiff to talk, swigged rum, or got out family photos, played Halma, yelled, swapped addresses, uniforms, helmets, jocose, till under the sheaves of streaking tracer on that soft and naked common field. There was nothing left to offer, but the trenches and their nameless yield. The first thing that confronts the translator is the epigraph. It is in English in the German original poem, and gives one a sense of the kind of diction with which the poem begins in German. It is the diction of a gunner, although as a narrative poem, the narrative voice begins in the final stanza of the poem to lift out of its proximity to the gunner and his speech and to withdraw into a more universal observation about the sublimity of war in the sense of its unreachability and its impossibility. And yet what the poem recounts is the possibility of translation of universal values in a situation where untranslatability is what the scene dictates. The poem itself rhymes A-B-A-B all the way through, and some of the rhymes are very difficult to reproduce in the sense that one has to choose a different word to rhyme on. The German sounds of the rhymes are like this, plem-plem with plum, ungeschützt, with kein geschütz, Land, jede hand. Gräben, gaben, sigaretten, ratten. Schokolade, lade. Rum, Rei um. halma helme. Spurgaben, gräben. Anger, hunger. And as you've already heard, the rhymes that came out in the English were loco, mistletoe, duck, luck land hand lines woodbines someone poison chocolate rack swigged swapped photos jocose, tracer offer field yield and some of those words even were not in the german poem of course all of the words were not in the german poem but some of the words are in a sense made up words in order to find the rhymes Cigarettes here have become woodbines, which were cigarettes smoked at the time. Plem-plem is a slang word for mad or insane in a social sense, and I've chosen the word loco, which I checked was actually used during the period of the First World War, although more by American soldiers than by British soldiers. Nonetheless, here it is rhyming with mistletoe. Another aspect of the poem which was very interesting was the way that Jan Wagner thinks in syllables. I say this because I've noticed again and again that when I have done the syllable count, I've found that he suddenly starts breaking the rules that he seems to have set up from the very beginning. We have 10-syllable lines and 11-syllable lines, but suddenly that breaks into 9-syllable lines and 12. And I think that this is because... The intention from the beginning was not to impose a strict reglementation on the poem, but that he actually thinks those syllable-length lines, because they turn up again and again all the way through his work. And that under certain conditions, when the poem itself changes, then the syllable count and the breathing of the poem changes. All in all, I think that as far as the translation is concerned, the translation illustrates and the poem demands of the translator that he or she goes further than an equivalence in diction towards a level where the translation is at least trying to do the same job as the poem is doing, even if the detail is different.